We're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning, uh, chapter 13. Uh, I thought about doing something New Year's-y, you know, but uh, I'm sticking with the parables. I didn't feel a, a leading to do anything differently. And uh, I did something last week. I threw in a little bit of uh, some of the themes that I have from this message because I didn't get to share it on that snowed out day. So uh, I'm not sure God wanted me to do that, but uh kind of snuck it in there anyway. Yeah, so pray for me. <clears throat> but we're going to be uh, talking about the mustard seed and the leaving. Uh, depending on your translation, leaving yeast. Uh, Matthew 13, verses 31, 32, and 33. And then we'll go from there. And I'm reading from the ESV translation. Uh, verse 31, it reads, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I'm going to combine it with the next verse. These are two short parables. Verse 33 goes on to say, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaving that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. You know, I know many of us have heard at least the mustard seed passage uh, many times, but probably both the mustard seed and leaving. And, you know, I think sometimes we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You know, I've heard it preached so many different ways, and I'm not going to claim any special revelation or anything of that nature, but oftentimes we put an emphasis on whether or not the mustard seed is really the smallest seed or not. Some try to look at that and say, well, orchid seed, especially the jewel orchid, is smaller than the mustard seed. So, you know, Jesus was wrong about that. So if he was wrong about that, then we, what else does it cause into, call into question? You know, people try to use it that way. Or, you know, we emphasize growth, which is a, in America, if it ain't growing, it ain't God. If it ain't popular, if it ain't big, if we believe that if something is small, seemingly insi insignificant, that it's also small in importance or small in impact. But nothing can be further from the truth when it pertains to the kingdom of God. Think about this. 
And I'll just start, I'll rewind the tape just as far as the uh, John the Baptist. Would you say he came from extravagant and large beginnings or from humble beginnings? Let's think about his parentage. Was he born in the palace? Was he born to princes or paupers? Let's think about this for a minute because his mother, Elizabeth, suffered the indignity of being barren. So he just had average parents. Nothing special about him, it seems. I'm sorry if that offends any parents here today. You're special, okay? No, but he just, he didn't have any uh, famous parents. He didn't have any parents at any high station. They were just average Joe and Jane. And they got into their elder years and they weren't able to have any children because Elizabeth was barren, right? And in their older years, after, I don't know why God waited so long, but God waited till they were older and she was past childbearing age to open her womb and give her the ability to have a child. And they had one child. And that child ended up being John. John the Baptist. One who would pave the way for Jesus. Now let's think about Jesus. All right? The only begotten Son of God. The Savior, we just celebrated the holiday in which the, that, that symbolizes the day that the Savior of the world was born. His Father was the Heavenly Father, Right? He came down from heaven, put on this wretched flesh in order to redeem us. Right? But, but here he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But you know, the, the way the kingdom of heaven operates, he wasn't born. The King of kings was not born in a palace. He was not born to royalty. He was not born in a way that the whole world could see and say, surely this is the Son of God. He was born under questionable circumstances. He also was born to an average Joe and Jane. They were of the lineage of David. So, so, so there was that lineage going for them. But if you look at them and their life story, you don't see anything amazing about them. They could go through and live their lives and history would have never recorded them had they not been the earthly father or mother of Jesus. We wouldn't even know they existed. And not only that, not only was he born to people who were seemingly insignificant individuals, there was also a little uh, soap opera drama. Mary, a spouse to Joseph, ends up pregnant before they consummate the marriage. 
You know there had to be whispers and rumors about that. And yet, our, our Lord, our Savior, was born into that. It's hard to get much humbler than that beginning. The world didn't know. There were specific individuals who did, who God gave revelation to. We had the, we, we had the wise men from the east who saw his star and began, came looking for him. The angel spoke to the shepherds and announced his birth, right? God spoke to Joseph, spoke to Mary. Certain individuals were privy to what was going on, yet the world at large had no clue. Wouldn't you call that humble beginning? Jesus calls his disciples. He didn't go looking at the best and brightest of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He just picked 12 average dudes. Various professions. A physician. You got fishermen. You know, guys that just had trades they, they, these are not guys who would have commanded the respect of people who are in high positions and esteem. They would not have commanded the respect of the, of the people at large. Starting to sense a pattern here about this kingdom of heaven. Though John's Beginning was humble. He baptized the Lord Jesus and announced his arrival. Amen. Though Jesus's birth was humble. He ended up proving to be the Lord of glory. The Lamb of God who took away the sins of the earth. He suffered the cross, but what did he do on the third day afterwards? He rose again, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering sin, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you know what? Now, that baby who was born in such humble circumstances now has a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we're here, Jesus is teaching out of this parable. We've already had the, the seed and the sower. We've had the wheat and the tares. Well, you told us what the kingdom of God is like. And here we are talking about the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed. And it says something about that a man took the seed and sowed in his field. So it likens the kingdom of heaven to one of the smallest seeds on earth. It starts off seemingly insignificant. It's about, and if any of you have a little mole on your hand or finger or somewhere, it's about, it's about the size of one of those little, uh, mole spots. 
can put it in your finger. It's about one millimeter wide. Minuscule, small. It seems small. It is small. It seems insignificant. It's a very humble beginning. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Now, I don't want to get into the argument, is it a bush or is it a tree? Who cares? That's not the point of the parable. I believe the point of the parable is the contrast between the humble beginning and its great impact. Its humble beginning contrasted with the greater glory that results from it. Are you hearing me? The kingdom of God, as we give our lives to Christ, entered into my heart. You know what? It, it wasn't evident to the whole world. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't at the moment it happened. It wasn't one of those things that was so extravagant. People could look at me and say, oh, my God, the kingdom of God is, is, is all over that man. But that seed was planted. I still had issues I had to work through. I still had flaws. I still engaged in sin, but that seed was planted and God began to do a work in me. The influence of the kingdom of heaven started that day. I gave my life to the Lord the summer of my junior year uh, 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 in high school, the summer between my junior and senior year in high school, 1987. It started. Seemingly insignificant, a humble beginning, but that mustard seed began to grow. And by God's grace, began to transform me. And I'm not going to get all into my testimony here. I'm sure there are testimonies, every one of you. Uh, may have may be able to relate to the fact that when I gave my life to the Lord, I didn't feel any different than I felt before I gave my life to him. It didn't feel like this great transformation took place. I thought when I gave my life to him, it was all the issues that I struggled with would just go away. They did not. But over time, that mustard seed began to grow in influence, began to grow an impact, and began to have such impact as to totally transform my character, totally transform my life, totally transformed me into a mature man of God that God could entrust his word to. That God could entrust his flock to. Are you hearing me? That God could entrust one of his precious daughters to. As my wife. And the children that he has given us. 
There wasn't much about me that would speak great significance. Single parent household, poverty. Nothing that would suggest that I would be able to do anything of significance and yet God saw something in me, a treasure in me. And he transformed my life. And it started small and he's continued to transform me into what he's called me to be. And he has done the same and will do the same for you. You know, it's the smallest seed, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, that little... Uh, people like to say that this is indicative of the uh, either fallen church or the church that's led astray and it's filled with a bunch of evil people and because that's what the birds represent. I don't see that as necessarily being consistent of, remember, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. There may be unbelievers in the church, pretenders in the church, but this is not an indictment on the church. This is not an indictment on unbelievers. This is talking about the kingdom of heaven. All right? And so it's talking about the kingdom of heaven is how we can go from a seemingly small thing to a great thing. And once it has grown fully mature, you see in that, it says that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I would view this, now you can go to scripture and let God speak to you as to what it is, but I look at this and say, okay, the birds of the air, they may represent unbelievers. People of the world. But isn't that whom we've been called to reach? Isn't that whom the church should be inviting and attracting and bringing into, bring them in? Wasn't that what we all were at one point? Right? And I love the imagery of it, that a bird of the air can come and it can rest. And it can nest there. Whether or not birds actually nest in mustard trees, let, again, emphasis, syllable. Let's, let's not put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Whether or not birds actually nest in mustard trees, it doesn't matter. We're using a natural occurrence to bring forth spiritual truths. Okay? Now, the tree that he's referring to grows to such an extent that birds can come in and nest there. And those birds represent people who are, who have no rest. Flying about, wandering, no home, no place to dwell, and yet here you find this mustard tree of the Lord with its branches where, you're, where these people are able to Land, dwell, nest there, and benefit from the kingdom. 
And the reason I included both those verses, uh, both of the, the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, I believe they pretty much, in a nutshell, make the same point. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So she took a little leaven, she put it into three measures of flour, and it had great effect. It's, it's not much of the yeast or the leaven. It doesn't take a whole lot for it to have great effect. You try to bake muffins, cake, without a leavening agent. Imagine how it's going to look when you're ready to take it out of the oven. Is it going to rise? Is it going to be fluffy? Or is it going to be flat? And I, look, I didn't study the baking, and so all I know is it'll either rise or it'll be flat. Now, the texture of it, I don't know. I'm going to need a little help. Maybe, sweetheart, you can help me out here or something. But it's probably not. It's probably going to be bad in a lot of ways. But they, but they both make the point of the contrast. When you put the yeast in there or whatever your leavening agent is, visually, if you weren't there when it was being put in, you can't tell that it's been put in. You can, you can only tell once the fire has hit it. And those gases and that leavening agent does its work and it causes it to rot. You can see the effects of its presence, even though you cannot literally see its presence. And that's, and that's another way, another characteristic of the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't have to be audacious. It doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be this big thing. The kingdom of heaven is found in the, the little things. That if we persist in those things, what Pastor Dale was referring to, availing ourselves to the Lord. What my wife Christy was talking about as far as encouraging us to get into his word. If that's five o'clock in the morning... I will admit that that is not me. If it's getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and spending time with the Lord, um, as the scripture says, if you're going to awaken the dawn with, with, with praise and getting into the word, if you're a morning person or can be a morning person, I would encourage you to awaken the dawn with praise. Oh, Lord, if you were one that goes to the gym at 6 or starts your yoga, or what is that stuff you say is a combination of yoga? So what do you call it? Payo, a mixture of Pilates and yoga, right? Yeah, torture. And so, you know, if you want to start that, if you normally start that at 6 o'clock, hey, start the day at 5 or 5.30. Begin it with the Lord and then transition into that. And just whatever God spoke to you during that time, meditate on that throughout the day. Continue to think on it. Continue to pray about it. Ask the Lord to continue to uh, reveal 
that word and to, and to awaken that word to you and, and what you might need to do to act on it. All right? So that it becomes real to you. And you can get into the habit of taking God's word seriously enough that I'm not just going to read it and give mental assent to it. I want to take this word and, and apply it today. I want to apply it in my life. Lord, how do I do this? How do I make this? Uh, uh, make me aware of the undergirding biblical principle that may not be obvious at first glance to my eye. Let me know what's here because that girding principle, undergirding principle is going to apply in various situations. It's going to help me walk in wisdom where I otherwise might not be able to. Amen? And so, each word, each time you're doing that, It may seem like a little thing. It may seem as small as a mustard seed. But if you persist in it, it will grow. And it will be, the growth, the contrast will be extraordinary. These little things that nobody sees. Like I mentioned last week. You know, there aren't any ESPN trucks out there ready to observe to see if you are crushing it in prayer time. In order to praise you, there's no Nike or Reebok ready to give you a shoe deal because of how well you prayed and how diligent you are in your time with the Lord. Nobody sees it. You're in your prayer closet. You're doing the thing. You're walking in faithful obedience to the Lord. You're doing what pleases the heart of God. You're obeying him in these things. And they may be small or seemingly small. Or seemingly insignificant, but nothing could be further from the truth. When we encourage you to pray, take heed to it. We encourage you to not cease praying. Continue to go before God in prayer. Continue to go before God in order to, to fellowship with him and to cherish his presence. We encourage you to read God's word so that you can know his word, so that you can apply his word as you're living life. Those things don't, they're not very fun. They're not very excitable in a lot of ways. They can become their way once you become practicing those things. You begin to benefit. You see the benefits and the wisdom of it, okay? You'll begin to get a little bit more excited about it. But the day-by-day -day grind of it is not that exciting. I'm just going to spoil it for you, the mystery of it. It's not that exciting. But we don't do it because of excitement. All right? Our God loved us that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross in our place. So that in him we might enjoy salvation and ever be with the Lord. Live with him in eternity. Right? He loved us. So much, Romans 5 eight says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing full well that there would be many who would not accept his gift. So 
Scripture says of the Lord, so we, we, we love him because he first loved us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So let's guard our hearts and think about our motivation. Are we doing, whether we should be doing things because they're enjoyable, whether we, or whether we should be doing things out of rote obligation, or whether we should be motivated out of love for God, the one who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for us, for our sin, he who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we will be motivated to return that love and say, Lord, yeah, this is not very fun for me, but, but it's not about my fun. It's not about my enjoyment. It's not about my perceived benefit. I may benefit greatly from this. I, I may be more than satisfied with the results. I may be a little disappointed about the results, but it's not about me at the end of the day. I'm going to do these things because you commanded that they be done. Not because of fear of consequence, but because I love you enough that I'm going to obey you in it. Grant, grant me the grace Father God, grant me the grace to continue therein diligently, day in, day out. Let me not take any of it for granted. Every little thing, every little mustard seed of a of, of, of deed that I do. In God's hands becomes a mustard tree. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you started in humble beginnings. Maybe you view yourself as insignificant. Maybe you see yourself as a bit of a mustard seed. A lot of people out there are doing great things. A lot of people get praised for doing, you know, the great orators, uh, great innovators, great creators, uh, great artists, okay, uh, great leaders. There are people who are, who, you know, throngs of people can't get enough of them, and they, and they love them, and they support them, and, they, and all these things. You know, maybe you're not that person. They seem bigger than life. They seem to have it all together. Everything's amazing in their life, and here I am. Maybe the reason I'm here and not there is because of some flaw in me. Maybe that's indicative of something that I lack personally that prevents me from having the impact that those people have. Do not be fooled by that. We don't even know the name of the Syrophoenician woman. Yet, yet she's in the Bible. Right?
Your significance is not determined by your humble beginnings. It's not determined by the magnitude of, of your accomplishments. God doesn't ask that of you. He asks you to walk with him in humble obedience and trust him. He asks you to plant where he says plant. Water where he says water. You know who's responsible for the increase? Don't be shy. Somebody say it. That's right. The Lord is. One may plant, one may water, but God gives the increase. A farmer can do everything right. Till the ground, plow it up, plant at the right time, water, do all that stuff, and one year might have a bumper crop. Does the exact same thing the next year, and the crop underwhelms. But you know what? That farmer can't predict when the crop's going to be bumper and when it's not. He doesn't have the luxury of being able to slack when knowing ahead of time that the crop's not going to be bumper, right? He's got to, he or she has got to plant when the planting's right. They've got to repair the ground. They've got to do what they need to do. And it's trust that God's going to take care of the rest. And I know this is a bit repetitive and everything, but I do think it's, it's worth being repetitive. Because, again, uh, whether you are jobless, make minimum wage, whether you are a missionary, a pastor, uh, any one of the fivefold ministry, whether you're a ministry leader, uh, whether you are a single parent, whether you're a school teacher, working a sexual job, whatever you are, it may seem, it gets to a point to where it seems a bit mundane and a bit insignificant to you, but it's not insignificant to the kingdom if you're doing what you're doing to the glory of God. If you're where God wants you to be and you're doing what God wants you to do then what you're doing cannot be insignificant because it is, because it, is it pertains to the kingdom of heaven are you hearing that uh, let's go to uh, uh, the book of Zechariah chapter 4 then we'll, after which, uh, I'll get one more verse and, and we'll uh, begin to wind this down. And I just want to pay, pay, particular, pay particular attention to eight verses, uh, verses eight to ten. Um, I was tempted to do all 14 verses, but... Uh, the main verses that I want to go through is verses 8 to 10. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. 
For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range, which range through the whole earth. But I just wanted to say, it says, it's ask a question here. For whosoever has despised, well, it doesn't ask the question, but for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. I'm not going to get into what I plan to. Uh, it's one of those moments where I just trust the Lord just wants me to make the point and stay with it, all right? But the foundations that Zerubbabel laid had been laid for two decades without being completed. Have you ever started something and not finished it? Have you ever started something with the expectation that it will be completed by a certain time and you find yourself blowing that time out of the water and these unfortunate, unforeseen delays gets to the point to where what started with such excitement and, and, and hope and, and such vision all of a sudden becomes despised in your eyes because it did not go as you had planned. It did not go as you had envisioned. God has done many things in my life where I started it and I had a certain idea where it was going to go. And little by little, I became to realize that God has something totally different in mind. I felt strongly that the Lord would have me be a full-time ministry. As far back as my late 20s. I did not become, you know, it took so long for that to happen. I figured that maybe I missed the Lord on that and that maybe God would have for me a different role to play in the kingdom. And it got to a point where I was okay with that. Um, I, 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 I was a bivocational uh, pastor for uh, four and a half, five years or so. And that's as close as I got, <laughs> all right? I've worked in the secular field uh, for, for years, for like 25 years or so. And it came to a point to where that which was once a dream, I had to let it die. And I wasn't bitter toward the Lord. I just, I gave it up and I began to serve wherever God, wherever God led me to serve. In whatever capacity, whether it was men's ministry, whatever, whether it was prayer ministry, whether it was, uh, well, I was asked to serve as an elder here at the uh, at, at New Covenant Fellowship. And then one day, our previous pastor, C.J. Ellis, just shocked all of us and felt like uh, the Lord was moving he and his family on. And he uttered these words. He said, well, if you guys, of course, there wasn't a peep in the elders' room. I hope the elders don't mind me, me sharing this. I probably should have asked it first. But, but he shared it with us. And like my grandmother used to say, it was so quiet, you could hear a rat pee on cotton. 
we're sitting there trying to just process this. And while we're trying to do that, he says, and if you want to know who I feel like God is highlighting to replace me here, and all of a sudden something just rolled up me, and I was like, oh, don't say it. And he said it. Right? <laughs> and he saw we, we've been friends for a long time. We so we're like we're like brothers. <laughs> and he must have seen my reaction and he came he followed that up with and also if uh, as a plan B, you know, he mentioned another name and uh uh the elders felt like uh the first name he said was the was the right name. And I was like, well, guys, can I, can I talk to Mrs. Cannon and we pray about this? They said, sure. Me and Mrs. Cannon prayed for a couple of weeks. And our primary concern was, is this really what God wants us to do? Or is just, or is, or, or is this just uh, a next man up thing, right? We didn't want the, to be the logical choice. We wanted it to be the Lord's choice. And so that was the thing that we were praying about. God, what is your will here? And it was during that time, CJ had not left yet. The Lord reminded me. He reawoke what I felt that he had spoken to me back in my late 20s as a young minister. And connected that dot to me and said that this is that time. I shared that with CJ and he broke out in tears. Somehow that was confirming for him that what he was doing was opening the door for God's will to be carried out and, and, and the dream that God had given me to come to pass. But, but God had to remind me of that while I was in consternation a little bit about uh, you know, doubts, can I do this? Uh, Lord, um, we just want to make sure this is you, right? But that little thing, back in my 20s, a dream that had died, right? Like Zerubbabel had laid this foundation and it had endured for over 20 years before word came that it was going to be completed. He started it, he's going to complete it. If God started something in your life, he's faithful to complete it. He has begun a good work, and he will complete it. You can trust him. And at the end of the day, sometimes it boils down to whether or not we trust God. Because everything is not going to make sense. Everything is not going to have a logical flow. Right? And so it's going to boil down to, am I willing to go with God regardless of how things look? If God is telling me to go here, am I going to go there and obey him and just trust him that God is God and he's got my back? Is he a good, good father or is he not? Is he faithful and true or he's not? Now, they're not just songs we sing. They're not just verses that we read. They have to become what we truly believe. If we're to walk with him by faith, 
and not by sight. Are you hearing me? And so we can trust him no matter how small the beginning in the hands of God, it will lead to much. It doesn't mean, that, that, that doesn't mean that the, the chairs, the pews, if you want to call them here in New Covenant, are, are going to be filled and, and we're going to be bursting at the scenes capacity-wise and have to expand. You can have great impact without there being great numbers. Without statistics that man likes to evaluate and, and judge by. Let's be more focused on quality than quantity. Are you hearing me? Parents, what I've, I've found, your kids may not admit to this right now, but I wish that I could have given my daughters everything their hearts ever wanted. Every good thing that they desired. But that was not within my ability to do so. Right? But it was within my ability to be there for them. To love them. To parent them. To counsel them. And all those things. You know, it, it, Christy used to tell me all the time, hey, mom is, always, mom is always there. They expect mom to be there. Somehow it means more when you're there. That could be just how mom felt. But I've learned to pay attention to what my wife says when she says things like that. And, and we just made sure that one thing they were not going to lack is love. One thing they were not going to, to lack is support and encouragement. One thing they were not going to lack was a sense of family and togetherness and unity, right? And so, and, and you know what? If I had to compare those two things, if I could do one or the other, live in poverty but be able to give my children all those things, or to sacrifice those things in order to provide everything my kids would ever want. I would choose the former over the latter. Seven days a week and twice on Sunday. And you know what? I bet the heart of children would rather have that as well. Are you hearing me? I, I, the point of that is it may seem like a small thing being able to be there for your kids. Being there to help them struggle through, help them as they're struggling through a math problem or math subject. Being there at their games to support them. While, uh, but, but you're, 
you know, but you lose track. Of, but sometimes we make the mistake of losing track of that. And we're seeing all that our neighbors or our friends and so forth are, are able to do for their kids. And compared to our inability to do some of those things, and it may seem like what we're doing is a bit insignificant, a bit small. I just want to rebuke that lie <laughs> in the name of Jesus, okay? Uh, none of that. Uh, I will say more than being able to give them everything their hearts desires, your presence is more valuable than anything. It may seem like as small as a mustard seed, but your presence day by day, your investment day by day, your nurturing day by day, your discipline of them day by day, your training of them day by day by day, a million little deeds, little acts, they're being planted into their little hearts. And God's going to take that and it's going to grow. And the contrast of those seemingly small events is going to lead to something great and glorious for the kingdom of God. So what you do in your daily grind, if you do it as unto the Lord, has phenomenal impact. That's how the kingdom impact is and so I'll, I'll, I'll finish back up in Matthew 13 verses 51 and 52 and then I'll that's where I'll wrap up and Jesus asked his disciples a question he says have you understood all these things now he didn't say that right after this or these parables he said it after he had said all the parables so I may be revisiting this little two-verse passage uh, in the coming week or two. But have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So, you're the master of a house. In other words, you, okay, you are entrusted with this now. You understand it. All right? And just like the master of a house, I, I, I'm, I'm giving this little parallel here. And just like the master of a house who has stored up valuables, stored up possessions, eventually bequeaths those possessions. to his or her children or descendants. So I'm expecting you who have now heard these things, who now understand these things, you now have a responsibility before God to walk in these things and to bequeath these principles, these truths unto others. So I want you to bring it out of that storehouse. 
and be a blessing. Now, Jesus didn't travel very far in his ministry. Pastor Dale has said many times he didn't start his ministry till he was 30. Ministered for three years before he suffered on the cross. Had a small following, I mean real following, 12 disciples. Had Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Bethany, and had a few others. His ministry was really to the children and people of Israel. So he didn't travel great distances. Didn't minister to a whole lot of people in the grand scheme of things when you think about the world's population. Had a few hundred believers. Uh, day of Pentecost, there were 120. There were hundreds who saw him lifted up to heaven. The church early on was persecuted. All the disciples turned apostles, you know, they faced persecution. Uh, most of them were uh, martyred. 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus' death, there was not great growth in the church. A hundred years after Jesus, there may have been 30,000 believers. Gradual. This is a century after the Lord rose from the dead. But by the time we got to three, four hundred years past. It went from hundreds, from tens of thousands to millions. And today, we have the gospel preached around the globe. And since that time to now, we've had people join the kingdom of God in the billions. That humble beginning, gradual persistence in sharing the gospel of the kingdom. Over time, it has grown into something that covers the whole earth. Are you hearing me? And we've been entrusted with that great gospel. I'm going to ask you to stand. We've been trusted to that great gospel. Some of us may see the part that we've been entrusted with, the assignment that we've been given as something small. But we would be in error to see what God has entrusted us with as insignificant. It may be humble in its beginning, but if it be of the Lord, it will be great in its impact. I don't even know the name of the man who led Billy Graham to the Lord, but oh, how great his impact was. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who knows what you will ultimately do for the Lord and the impact it will have will be. Maybe you'll live to see that amazing impact. Maybe that impact will happen after your lifetime on this earth has ended. Either way, do it in faith and trust God with the results. I preached a message some, some I think, months ago in which the message was, die believing. Do what you do in obedience to God. And whether God does it in your lifetime or beyond your lifetime, don't worry about that. Just trust God to do it in his own timing. In Hebrews 11, the chapter of the heroes of faith, so many of them did not see the promise that God gave them. They did not live to see it come to fruition. But they kept believing to the day they drew their last breath. It was never a doubt in their minds that it was going to happen. And, and, and there was a time when one, passed the blessing and the responsibility of what God would eventually do on to his sons and taught them to believe the glory that God would bring about. So, Father God, I just pray for your people right now, Lord. I just pray that you would encourage us, Father God. Minister encouragement to us, Father. Help us to see, Father, not the smallness of what we do, Father God, as something insignificant. Teach us not to despise the day of small beginnings. Let us not despise what may appear to be humble and insignificant. But help us see, Father God, that this is something that is true in the kingdom. This is a mustard seed that you have entrusted us with. And if we would but plant that mustard seed, Father God, and continue in faithful obedience, Father God, trusting you in what you have given to us, Father God, you will provide the increase. You will do, you will bring that to glory. And the growth of it will be phenomenal. The contrast between its beginning and its end will be inestimable, Father God. And we will give you glory and praise for that. Let us not be moved by sight. Let us not walk by sight. Let us not walk by what we can only see and understand, but cause us to walk by faith, fully believing in your word, fully trusting in what you have spoken to us. So that even though we may not have all the answers that would calm our hearts, that would calm our souls, that would you know, we, we may not get all the questions that we have answered, but we can take comfort in this truth. Like the song says, you have never failed us. You will never leave us forsaken. You will never leave us confounded. You are faithful and you are true. In you there is, 
no variableness, and no shadow of turning. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can trust you, Father God, to be faithful, to do what it is you have said you will do in us and through us. And so let us take solace in that. When we can't find solace in answers that would calm us, let us remind ourselves of who it is we belong to, of who it is we answer to, of who it is that is for us. We can take solace in your character. That although we don't know how it's going to work out, we know somehow, some way it's going to work out for our good. And we thank you for it, Father. And, and I, just, I just pray that that will awaken in the hearts of your people, Lord, and, 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 and be of great and tremendous benefit. I just trust that it will be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, I just want, you know, I, I never want to end a service without giving an opportunity for someone to, uh, to come to the Lord. I don't know the spiritual condition of everybody here, um, but I know the love of God for everyone here. And I know that Jesus died for everyone here. And if you have questions, if you are not certain of what this whole gospel message, this whole gospel thing is about, if you're not sure of whether or not you are saved and what salvation means, uh, I want to I, I invite you, as a matter of fact, you know, I beg of you to come and, and, and let's talk about it. Um, I, I, I would love to, to, to minister to you in, in the way that God has enabled me to and, and, um, and, 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 and pray the Lord that you will not leave here without knowing that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, uh, so if that's you, don't, don't worry about other eyes and, 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 and don't be shy. Uh, please come up. It will be my honor uh, to, to talk with you. And, and if there are any prayer needs here, I would also be honored to pray with you. Um, I will mask up. And, and, and do that. Um, but uh, otherwise, I love you guys. Lord bless you as you go. Have a great week, everybody. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, since it will happen before we meet again, Happy New Year <laughs> as well. <laughs> Praise God.